ocean Well, my friend It's gonna have to be Of all the evil it will have to end You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schilling-Ford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis. In the second half of our show today, we have an audio letter in response to last month's episode on China Perspectives. But first, we start with the news. Our top news story here in Minneapolis is the death of longtime journalist and activist Mel Reeves at 64 from complications associated with COVID-19. Mel Reeves was unvaccinated and implored people to get vaccinated shortly before his death on WCCO TV news. Many organizations and news outlets had tributes to Brother Mel. Democracy Now! covered his passing on their Friday, January 7th show. Locally, Minnesota spokesman recorder called Mel Reeves, quote, a fighter to the end in the headline of their announcement of Reeves' passing by MSR staff. In the piece, they said Mel described himself as, quote, a political and human rights activist, journalist, commentary writer, and organizer, end quote. According to the writing, Reeves had been involved in the journalism scene here in Minneapolis for 20 years, including at the Minnesota Spokesman Recorder, the oldest black and minority-owned business in the state of Minnesota. Jerry Freeman, MSR's senior editor, said, quote, Mel was a writing machine. It just poured out of him. He always had an intelligent, conscientious, well-thought-out understanding of what was happening. He was a fighter for justice who cared about the underdog. He was always thinking about who we need to stand up for, end quote. Ann Winkler-Mori has a post on Turtle Road, which is a short history of the life of Mel Reeves. The history was compiled by Winkler-Mori. It was completed in 2017, but Reeves had asked it not be released until after his death. We will include a link to that biography of Mel Reeves in the show notes. Sahan Journal has an obituary for Reeves on January 6th entitled Mel Reeves, a stalwart of Minnesota activism and community journalism, dies from complications of COVID-19. The obituary is written by Haban Ansari and Andrew Hazard from the obituary. Quote, for 30 years, Mel Reeves was a dynamic presence in the fight for education reform, police accountability, labor rights, and the Occupy movement in the Twin Cities, who spoke up for the interests of the black community and mentored a generation of activists. Reeves, the community editor at the state's oldest black-owned newspaper, the Minnesota Spokesman and Recorder, was hospitalized in mid-December for COVID-19 and pneumonia, end quote. I had the opportunity to work with Mel Reeves on a number of campaigns, including the Save North High campaign, Occupy Minnesota and Occupy Homes. Look back at our previous track as we shared a speech previously from Brother Mel when he spoke to the Minneapolis School Board on behalf of Zion Baptist Church and the Save North High Coalition. Now I'd like to play another short clip from Mel Reeves. This clip was recorded as part of the National Day of Action with Occupy Our Homes on December 6, 2012. On this day in Minneapolis, we were trying a new tactic of moving a homeless family directly into an empty home. In the clip I will play, Mel Reeves talks about the importance of taking a strong stand on the absolute right of everyone to have housing. 
He also talks about the importance of a movement and the importance of nationwide actions for social justice. In the recording, I had to cut out some background sounds. The audio does have a slight distortion as a result. Please have a listen. Well, I'm here because uh, we wanted to, since we've been with Occupy Homes, have been working to help save people's homes and uh, save people who are facing foreclosure from foreclosure. Um, it made sense, actually, since one of our philosophies is that housing is a right, that human right. beings should have shelter. It makes sense that when we started talking about, you know, liberating some housing that's sitting empty and putting people who are homeless in it. So it's a bit, it's a little different tag for us, and I don't know how far we can go with it, but that's what we're, that's what we're up to now. We're pretty much trying to figure out how we can begin to liberate homes that are sitting in the neighborhoods empty. Um, I heard that there's like, there's like, you know, there's thousands of homes sitting empty all over the country. You know, in, in Minneapolis, you walk through a neighborhood, and there's an empty house and every block just about, you know. Um, and it makes sense that we liberate those suckers so the people who are living in shelters or on the street can have a place to stay, you know, because my perspective is all human beings should have shelters. You know, the house is indeed a right. So, so that's what we're up to. And how important is it that this is a national day of action, that this is happening across the country? Is that important? Of course it's important. That means that other people support this idea. That means that uh, there's a, this, that means it's a movement. That means that other people are catching on to this. And that's how we'll change this thing. When other people begin to get together and say, hey, you know, they're right. Those, those brothers and sisters are right. People should have a place to stay. You know, uh, banks should renegotiate with folks. People shouldn't have to pay exorbitant interest rates. Uh, you know, principles should be reduced. You know, why not? <laughs> you know, uh, especially after the big ripoff that happened. You know, if the banks can get $16 trillion, the least we can do as working class folks can get some housing, man. <laughs> so. Now we turn directly to international news, specifically Kazakhstan and Sudan. International Socialist Alternative has an article on January 6th titled Revolutionary Events and Military Intervention. The article's subheading says, quote, Revolutionary events such as those that have taken place in Kazakhstan over the last couple of days have their own dynamic. Once started, they are difficult to stop. Now dozens have been killed and thousands arrested as foreign troops arrive, end quote. This is alluding to Russian troops participating in security response in Kazakhstan, which has killed dozens. You can find the full article on internationalsocialist.net. We will include a link to the article in the show notes. And now we turn to Sudan. We will now go to a clip from Democracy Now!, where Amy Goodman speaks with Sudanese activist Maureen Al-Neil, who is in Khartoum, the Sudanese capital city. Al-Neil starts in this clip by talking about the current situation in Sudan. We have ongoing protests calling for a civilian government, calling for the military to go back to its barricades and to no longer be part of the political scene. Uh, we have now neighborhood resistance committees announcing the protest schedule by the month. So we've had that in December and now we have that for January. Um, and these protests have been faced by violent uh, repression by uh, military forces, police forces, rapid support uh, forces and, and other um, militias and armed forces of the government. Um, uh, protesters are facing tear gas, uh, beatings, uh, rubber bullets and live ammunition and even anti-craft uh, machinery. Uh, we've had a, a, a martyr uh, that has died uh, by uh, this type of uh, weapons. Um, and on the days of the scheduled and announced protests, what we see is that from the night before, the bridges of the tri-capital city of Khartoum are barricaded with um, shipping containers to um, uh, not allow the protesters 
to join each other in the tri-capital city. Uh, however, previously, the protesters managed to overcome these uh, uh, containers peacefully. Um, uh, and, and after the protests, usually we see the armed forces uh, raiding hospitals, um, attacking doctors and other medical staff, um, even arresting some of the injured and sometimes chasing the vehicles that have tried to transport um, the injured from the protest to hospitals. One of the martyrs uh, of uh, yesterday's protest was chased by uh, armed forces uh, when they, uh, the other protesters tried to rescue him and, and transport him to a, a nearby hospital. Can you lay out what has taken place um, with Hamdak um, resigning the prime minister? And just lay out for us, give us a history of the who's running, who are the people leading the uprising, first knocking out al-Bashir, um, and then the civilian-military partnership that ended in a military coup in October, and the more demands uh, for there to be civilian rule. So, in 2019, the Sudanese Professionals Association was leading the protest. Uh, the protests were uh, the, the main chants were being Hurriya uh, Salamu Adala, freedom, peace, uh, and justice. Um, and that ended with the ousting of Omar al-Bashir, and then a power-sharing deal was signed between the forces of freedom and change, which the Sudanese Professional Association was part of. Um, uh, and that power-sharing deal led to the transitional government that has lasted for about two years um, and ended with the military coup on October 25th of uh, 2020. Um, now, what the people are calling for is uh, the main slogans are no uh, negotiation, no partnership, no legitimacy. So people are no longer interested in any sort of partnership with the military. Uh, in 2019, uh, many people were displeased with the partnership, and now mostly people are outright rejecting any form of partnership with the military. And currently, um, although we're seeing on a lot of international media outlets that um, uh, these protests are being called for by the Forces of Freedom and Change or the Sudanese Professionals Association, that is far from the reality. Uh, in reality, uh, the entities that are leading this movement are the neighborhood resistance committees, which have uh, developed uh, mainly in 2019 to help organize the protests uh, in uh, neighborhoods, in different neighborhoods, and are now uh, the leading entity um, uh, announcing the protests and uh, are actually the voice of the people that is still saying no negotiation, no partnership, no legitimacy. And now, as for Hamdok's resignation, it has been mostly insignificant uh, for the protests on the ground. Um, as since he signed on uh, November 21st, a deal with General Lieutenant Al Burhan, uh, the, the, the head of the uh, military coup council. Um, uh, people have considered him the secretary of the coup. Um, he was no longer relevant to the people. Uh, and, and bear in mind, he signed that agreement as an individual. It's more like a, a work contract with the coup rather than any agreement. Um, so his resignation has been um, irrelevant to people. Uh, some have chanted, um, whether he resigned or not, the schedule uh, keeps going. It's basically the schedule of the announced protests. And that's the news. Now we go to a musical break with Part of the Union by The Straubs. This song came out in 1973. Now I'm a union man Amazed at what I am I say what I think that the company stinks Yes, I'm a union man 
seats in the local hall. I'll be voting with them all. With a hell of a shout, it's out, brothers, out. And the rise of the factories fall. We're back. You'll remember last month we had three perspectives on China, and now we go to another audio letter from Abdi Rahman.、Uh, my name is Abdi Rahman.、Uh, I am a nurse,、um, also an individual who does his best to be politically engaged.、Um, this response here is to your. Previous episode、uh, regarding Ch- China and the question at hand、uh, was whether China has been a force of good for working class people in China、uh, as well as across the globe.、Um, and my assertion is that it has not been、um, positive influence、um, or great for working class individuals.、Um, No doubt, China has uplifted、uh, millions of people、uh, out of poverty,、uh, which is amazing.、Uh, however,、uh, there are many, many cons.、Uh, for one thing,、um, China is only second to the USA、uh, in regards to the number of billionaires、uh, and millionaires it has. So there is definitely a significant. Income、uh, disparity uh, between uh, people in China, 
the working class people and, the, and those that are filthy rich. Um, my critique here is of that of the government and not necessarily the people. Uh, the people uh, are often, uh, unfortunately, uh, misled by their government um, because it's an authoritarian government uh, that has that wields significant power in the types of information that people consume. That's not to say that, that some of that doesn't occur in the USA. Uh, however, it's 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 very different uh, in China. Um, one quick example is uh, uh, Peng Shui. I think I may be mispronouncing her name. Uh, she is um, a tennis player who, uh, you know, criticized publicly a member of the Communist Party for sexual uh, harassment or po- uh, I think also maybe sexual assault. And um, the Chinese government cracked down on her really, really hard uh, by removing her off of the Internet, just like completely making it impossible for people to look her up uh, using the, the, the Great Wall uh, of the Internet or something like that. It's, 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 it's a term indicating uh, the firewall that China has. Uh, in regards to the virtu- virtual world or the internet and, and how it censors uh, people. For instance, the president of China, you can't criticize him uh, easily. Uh, in fact, if you compare him to Winnie the Pooh, uh, you will get arrested. Um, and you can't even make such references online uh, because of uh, how much power the CCP has. Uh, furthermore, one thing that really upsets me is the plight of Uyghurs in Xinjiang or, or northwestern uh, China. It's an autonomous uh, region. Uh, there was a protest uh, many years ago, uh, and as a result, China saw that as a threat. Uh, the, and by China, I mean the CCP saw that as a threat to its power and its legitimacy. So currently, it's waging... Uh, systematic campaign in making sure that there is uh, no challenge to its authority in that area by forcefully uh, assimilating the people in that area. Um, The Uyghurs uh, tend to be um, generally Muslim. Uh, They have their own language, uh, which is more related to, to Turkic languages. Uh, currently in that area, it is heavily uh, surveilled, like there's cameras everywhere. Uh, families are being forced to have uh, somebody from the government, uh, somebody who's often Han Chinese living with them to make sure that they are patriotic enough. Uh, there is more than a million people in that area that are detained. Uh, and these people are actually being used for... Um, labor camps they're being forced to produce things and so many countries uh, including the usa are doing targeted sanctions uh, of those areas uh, because those products are made using forced labor and it's 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 egregious it's a crime against humanity and this is not just an assertion that i am making um, you could go to Human Rights Watch, uh, their website. They, ha- they have it well documented. 
Amnesty International, even Vice News did uh, an episode, uh, several episodes actually, where they sent one of their correspondents to Xinjiang uh, to record what's exactly is happening. You know, uh, younger uh, Muslims are not allowed to enter mosques. Mosques are surveilled. People are being forced to not uh, observe the month of Ramadan, to fast. Um, their Quran or their holy text has to be one that is aligned with CCP values. Uh, there's rules about, you know, how, how long of a beard that you can grow. Um, those that are, uh, that are arrested are sent to re-education camps where they're forced to renege their beliefs, they're forced to drink alcohol, eat pork, things that are against their values. Their children are, are sent to orphanages where the Chinese Communist Party tries to re-educate them uh, in a way uh, that is a form of like indoctrination, which is aligned with uh, CCP uh, values. Um, and this is not only towards the minorities in Xinjiang, but you can look at the example of Tibet. You know, so many people have been exiled from Tibet uh, because of the forced colonization of China in, uh, of Tibet. And, you know, if something isn't Han Chinese, then doesn't align with CCP values, etc. And the Chinese government goes heavily uh, against it. And this is... Uh, the issue with um, powers like China that are that are dominating, that are authoritarian, uh, their perspective and their narrative is the only thing that is legitimate. Furthermore, one of the speakers talked about the harmonious nature of China and how it wants that. And honestly, I would uh, define that more as sort of like the domination of, uh, of China and like Chinese domination, rather, and for instance, you we can look at the One Belt uh, One Road uh, initiative. Uh, you know, one thing uh, that they do with that initiative is that they uh, go to, uh, and try to invest money in developing countries, uh, but it is a form of a predatory loans uh, by uh, you know giving billions and billions of money. Uh, to corrupt uh, individuals uh, in these various uh, developing countries. Uh, and these corrupt individuals often who are leaders of the countries um, sign these egregious contracts where, for one thing, uh, they provide a lot of benefit to China and very little uh, to the country that is uh, accepting these investments uh, from um, China. Uh, often... Um, these contracts utilize the local land and local resources as collateral. So let's say the developing country kind of defaults in their loans. Uh, what happens is the Chinese government takes over resources in that area that they find appealing. Uh, this happened to Sri Lanka, uh, where the Chinese government invested billions of dollars when the Sri Lankan government, uh, of course, was unable to pay off uh, that debt, uh, China took its uh, main uh, deep water port. Um, they've done something very similar to Djibouti, where they invested billions of dollars 
um, and they've had now significant control over the country. They've done that to Kenya, a country I grew up in, um, which is close to defaulting uh, on its loans. Uh, and China is likely interested in taking over a port uh, as like co- uh, collateral. Montenegro is another example. It's a European, Eastern European country. They were building a highway there, and it looks like it's going to default on, on its loan. And China is looking to get collateral uh, for, by taking one of its main ports. Uh, this type of formula happens in many other countries. Um, and often when they provide this infrastructure uh, benefits uh, to these countries, these infrastructure um, investments, they is, instead of hiring the local community, they bring their own workers. You know, this happened in, for instance, Malaysia uh, with their, uh, the previous president who was more corrupt. And the new president of Malaysia actually renegotiated uh, the uh, agreement between China and Malaysia to allow more Malaysians to partake in the building uh, of the infrastructure uh, of uh, Malaysia, particularly, I believe it was a a light rail or train station that they were uh, working on. So there's various examples where China, you know, projects its power by by offering these infrastructure investments but in reality it's, it's sort of like a, kind of like a loan scheme where you are made to kind of default in it because of just the stupendous cost of, of these loans similar to let's say payday loans in the USA um, and when you can't pay them, there is a significant amount of collateral that's at play where uh, the uh, investor, the person who's giving the loan or the loaner, gets a significant amount of resources by you actually defaulting in it. And there is an interest for you to actually fail. Uh, and China is doing this more like with nations. Um, so I see, you know, that China has had a very corrosive uh uh, influence and its economical power it's one that it leverages to kind of um, circumvent uh, human rights uh, accountability uh, for instance I mean let's look at Hong Kong when there were protesters uh, and if NBA players kind of express solidarity with uh, with folks in Hong Kong uh, they would be uh, you know banned um, in China uh, and as a result, the NBA is forced to kowtow to to China, um, so that it it does you know what China wants it to do. Right? Uh, this is happening even with Hollywood, where Hollywood you know is being told, okay, well, there are certain things that you can't do because it's against CCP uh, interest, and uh, and Hollywood because of you know the economic potential of. Uh, China uh, learns to stay in line with what the CCP wants it to do. And so we're seeing this uh, again and again. You know, the fortunate thing with the recent uh, arrest of Peng Shui is that, you know, the Olympics Committee said, no, 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 this is too far. Uh, you know, China must not be, must not be allowed to do this. 
uh, and I think that's that that's a positive uh, development. You know, um, China uses its economic power to circumvent any form of accountability. I mean, American Airlines and Delta and various airlines. Uh, when they fly to Taiwan, they cannot call it Taiwan. For them to be able to do business in China, they have to call Taiwan something else, Chinese Taipei or something uh, of that sort. Uh, why? Because if th- those companies don't do that, then they're not allowed to function uh, in the second biggest economy and arguably the biggest economy in the world, which is China. So uh, China uses its economical might um, that it derives from working class people uh, to circumvent any form of international accountability. Uh, that's another uh, thing that convinces me that it has a very corrosive effect. Now, this is not to say that the U.S. is perfect. The U.S. is far from perfect. I mean, we have Guantanamo Bay. We have millions of people in prison. Uh, we see this uh, war on drugs. Uh, we see the income inequality in this country. Uh, for sure, there's a uh, significant critique of the USA and uh, in many other countries. But that's besides the point. And it's, you know, what about it is to say, oh, we must talk about every other country. Uh, in this particular episode, we're talking about China. And this is uh, my perspective of, of China. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford.